Welcome to the season three premiere of Fruit Bowl, an oral history of queer sex. Learn more at fruitbowlpodcast.com. Henry Rollins. He would go on stage with like no shirt on and like these tiny little shorts and you could kind of see his dick and like I just was like oh my god that he's totally beautiful you know he was kind of like for a long time I think like everything I thought I wanted in a guy. <laughs> My name's Josh, I'm 43, and I graduated high school in 1994. I was born in Houston, Texas, and I lived there until I was 14, 15, and then I moved to South Texas, uh, to McAllen, Texas, which is in the Rio Grande Valley, like right on the border of Mexico and Texas. Uh, and I spent my teenage years there in the, in the valley. This interview was recorded in October of 2019 in New York City. I usually just use the word gay. I mean, I, I guess I've just always used it. I don't know. I, and I'm fine with it. <laughs> I guess I should have more of like a specific identification, but I, that's kind of the way I identify. My family was really involved in the church and um, especially my dad's side. My grandfather was like a big uh, Pentecostal minister in San Antonio, so it was like this very super religious. We grew up Southern Baptist, so it was like very, very stern religious household. My parents divorced when I was 12, so I went to go with my mom, and then she got together with the guy who became my stepdad and he was like super he what they're still together and now he's officially my stepdad they got married uh but he's like very very conservative uh, like grew up in the military his whole life and was in the military his whole life like until uh maybe 10 years ago or something and so i would say on the whole it was very conservative <laughs> i have two older sisters um i'm the youngest there's a, quite a bit of an age gap between us. I think I was kind of like the accident. <laughs> There's like six years between me and my sisters, and they're, I think, a year or two years apart. That To me, I, I idolized my sisters. They were always like into cool stuff and music and living life ahead of me, so I always sort of deferred to them. Um, but when my parents got divorced, they were pretty much kind of out of the picture. I mean, they were like off in their 20s doing whatever they were going to do. And so uh, my stepdad had two kids and they were in high school. They were like 16, 17. I had a stepbrother and a stepsister. I was 12, like 13 around that, t that age. So I moved in with them and they were completely different. Uh, than my my sisters. I mean, they were just like completely the opposite personality-wise, like culturally. So it was like this very weird transition for me. Um, I always felt like a bit of an outcast. I mean, I was like the youngest of all of those families. I was kind of left to my own devices, which is probably why I became like an artist or like a, you know, um, creator because the that was really what I'd retreated kind of into my own, my own world, you know, like movies, music, books. Uh, that was kind of my life when I was a kid. They had just that quote from like, uh, before night falls, Ronaldo Arenas, like, uh, that he grew up, he was like, I grew up in a, in a, a home full of beautiful, angry women. <laughs> That was kind of my life, like, you know, I had these two older sisters and my mom and my dad, who was like this very, like this itinerant alcoholic who was never really around. And when he was, he was kind of not really there. So, you know, it was really just me and my sisters. And my sisters in particular were quite wild in their own way. And they were teenagers at the time, so it was like, I didn't, I never felt like the female figure and the female body was never, never mysterious to me, you know, like 
I knew about their boyfriends. I knew, I, you know, I was really curious. So I'd always like try to spy on them, you know, whatever they were doing with guys that they would bring over. And I would have like little crushes on the guys that they would date and stuff. And I don't remember not knowing like the mechanics of what happens with heterosexual sex anyway. And I also was totally unsupervised as a kid. I mean, I could, no one ever like monitored what I watched or what I consumed. So I would watch movies. I would, you know, that had sex in them. I would read books that had sex in them. So it was never, never really a mystery to me. Like the technicalities of it, I understood, but the um, experience of it, I always, you know, was very mysterious to me until much later. Sex was never talked about in our house. I mean, it was like super forbidden. Both my mom and my dad were very, you know, religious in their own way. And in my dad in particular, I know that, you know, he came from like a really big family. Um, he had like 11 or 12 brothers and sisters and they were all grew up in the Pentecostal church, you know, evangelical, Latino, very strict and from what I know, my dad's family, he was quite abused, I think, mentally, physically, and emotionally, um, which is probably why he turned out the way he did. But in, I think in kind of Latino cultures in general, like it, at least in my generation, I mean, I think it tended to be quite machismo, quite, you know, masculine or macho. It was, and the boy in the family, I was the one boy in the family. So it was kind of like, you were sort of expected to have this kind of like free reign of whatever, you know. And since I was gay, you know, it was even doubly weird for me because not only did I not have anybody to explain sex to me in a way that was like nurturing and kind and, you know, all those things that you should probably do when you're a parent. To think that you were gay was like a horrible, it was like the worst thing that could possibly happen to a person, you know. And I knew from like when I was, you know, from when I can remember having sexual feelings, they were always about boys or men. So it was always something that I kept very hidden. I think I remember asking my, you know, I remember like the day at school, you know, where they kind of like show you like the puberty film of like, what's going to happen to you when you have like body hair and grow up, you know? And I remember asking my father, about it and he just kind of ignored me like he didn't say he just sort of I, I remember asking him about what it what puberty was you know like what was going to happen and he just sort of pretended I didn't say it and kind of like went on his way that was kind of the house I grew up in it was quite secretive and things that you didn't talk about It's kind of embarrassing because it was really just about like, I mean, a lot of kids learn about sex, you know, through movies, through television, through um, media, I guess. And now, I mean, I can't even imagine like kids nowadays having access to the internet and like a whole, you know, just endless information about, an endless like misinformation about it, you know, like, you know, I had friends, you know, like really close friends. We would talk about it and sometimes they would explain stuff to me. I mean, I kind of knew the mechanics of like, I think because of my sisters, like vaginas and penises and stuff. And I knew, like, I kind of knew how the whole thing worked, you know, but gay sex in particular was like, I couldn't even fathom what, like, what happened or how it happened, you know, like... To me, like, you know, two men fucking was like beyond belief. I didn't even, I think maybe I didn't even realize or think that it really happened, that people really did that, you know? In a way, it was kind of like I could sort of intellectualize sex as a, a young kid. Like, I understood it and understood what happened. But the actual, like, conception of it, like, in reality, was there was like a disconnect in my mind, you know? I think I was quite prudish in a way because I had such a stern view of sex you know the people that I knew that had sex were always very troubled I knew a lot of people that had like girls in my life that had children out of wedlock or you know you know children then when they were teenagers and I uh fam like family members that I knew and they always you know had such I saw that they had such a hard time with it and plus I was gay which I knew was wrong you know and I, I knew that I could never 
tell anybody about that, you know, that it was something I probably had to like take to my grave or something. And I think maybe I, that was another reason why I felt like this really weird intellectual distance from it. It was kind of like, I knew that maybe it wasn't something that I, I was ever gonna be a part of or something, you know? Uh, because I knew I, I wanted to be with men and, you know, and I knew that was sort of forbidden. You know, my mother was a, um, her occupation when I was a kid was that she would, she worked for like a management company that managed these apartment complexes around Houston. And so we would live in these apartment complexes. Um, she would work there and we would live there. And, you know, in those, those complexes, you, you sort of form these like really close relationships with the families and people that live there. And I remember there was this really mean boy that, that I had like a super crush on. I mean, I, I, I think maybe that was the first time I'd ever really thought, like found a guy or a boy that I was like, wow, like, I felt there's this a magnetic attraction and I just kind of wanted to be around him all the time, even though he was like horribly mean to me. <laughs> but he was essentially a bully. In front of people, he would kind of demean me and, and like put me down. And I think maybe we had a fight one time, like a physical fight. But in, then in private, we would sometimes be alone together and he would be like normal. It's so It's so strange to even think about this because I felt like Again, I feel like this is another example of me going from like zero to a million. Uh, and, you know, and I was really young too, like seven, eight, something like that. You know, my mom would be off at work and my, my grandmother sometimes would stay with us and she would, this was during the summer, so I was off from school and she would oftentimes sort of take care of me. And, you know, and in Houston in the summer, it's super hot outside. So we would go to like the swimming pool in the apartment complex and, you know, and I would spend like all day out there, you know, cause I didn't have anything else to do. I'd watch TV and play video games and then go to the pool. And I think one day I went out there and it was just him. It was like him and me and we were hanging out and, um, I was like, why don't you come over to my, my apartment, um, and have, I feel like this is so weird. It's like, uh, something I'd probably do like, later on in my life, like trying to seduce somebody. Um, but I'd be like, you know, I, I think I said to him, like, let's go. My, my grandmother's making lunch. Do you want to have lunch at my house? And he came over and we were watching TV. And somehow I had this like idea that I was going to, I was like going to take a shower with him. I don't know why, how I imagined this or why I felt like I had the gumption to do that, but I did. And he was like, okay, you know, so we went up to my sister's, my sister shared a room at the time and uh, went into their shower and took a shower together, like got naked and took a shower together. And um, we didn't do anything. It was like, you know, we, it wasn't like we were um, touching each other or got erections or anything like that. Um, I mean, we weren't in there for very long, but my grandmother came and caught us. And, uh, like walked in on us and she, she freaked the fuck out. She was like, chased him out of the, the room and like, and then she told my mom about it. And my mom was really furious at me too. And I always think like, she knew, I think at that point, you know, that I was gay and that it was going to be an issue for me. But I think she always just sort of thought like, maybe it's not true or whatever. And then in college I had like a girl, a serious girlfriend for a little bit and, I think that was the first guy I was ever really attracted to. But there were many after that that were kind of more, you know, in college and stuff. Like I, I had many crushes from afar, like closety gay boy, like having crushes on straight guys. I had this roommate for a while in college who I'd had this mega crush on from afar for a long time. And he was looking for a roommate. And I thought, oh, you know, I'll see if he wants to live with me. And he did. So we lived together for like a year and it was so torturous for me. In fact, he, it was so torturous. Uh, not only was I like struggling with my sexuality and like totally in love with this guy, but then one of my best friends, a, a woman, um, met him and they started hooking up. So it was and in the same apartment. So it was like horribly torturous. 
that was kind of my my romantic life at the time was just being like this tortured queer boy that was in love with straight guys. This is like probably a heavy issue in my life in general because my father was so he was he was incredibly violent and an addict, but he was also quite distant. He had a very violent like intense relationship with my mom and my sisters because I think because they were a bit older than I was. I mean, his abuse to me was that he just ignored me. He never really talked to me very much and kind of was never around, you know. So I think I had this sort of running thing in my life where I would sort of chase after these mysterious, ethereal, kind of like abusive people. In a way, I kind of know that about myself now, so I don't really, it's not really a kind of a thing that happens to me much anymore, but not so much abusive, but I think more kind of like out of reach, people that were kind of unavailable to me. I think in a way we kind of all do that, you know, we all sort of like have these early relationships and, you know, when we sort of start to have intimate relationships with people, we kind of gravitate towards something that we longed for in those relationships. For me, as like a gay, queer person, I mean, I was very much like punished for it, you know? My mother really um, did not react to it very well. Like I didn't have a positive outcome from it. So. I think in a way it just sort of fed into my own sense of self-doubt, you know, and self-loathing for being gay or queer. I mean, which I think is probably what, you know, a lot of people from conservative religious families um, experience, you know. I, I never could understand why people found me attractive or anything like that, you know. It was a very long time before I was able to like own that part of myself and understand that part of myself, you know, that people would ever want to be intimate with me because I had this notion from such a young age that what I was was damaged and and not acceptable, you know, and I tried very hard, I think, as a lot of queer people do when they're not accepted to be what they're not. So it was like a process, like, a you know, it's been sort of a process throughout my whole life, I think, to like love myself in that way, I guess. I had that experience with that kid in the shower, but we didn't, we didn't really do anything. But it was not long after that, I think, that, you know, I discovered masturbation. I remember one particular summer, which I suppose, you know, was the summer that I kind of had puberty. But it was also the summer, I think, after my parents got divorced. So I went to live with my mom. And I was basically like, you know, I was home from school, but I was alone all day, you know, like, didn't know anybody. I moved to like a new neighborhood, so I didn't really know anybody. I would just watch TV and play video games and read and listen to music and stuff. What I always did as a kid, that was the the summer that I remember discovering masturbation. So I would just sit at home all day long and like look at the fucking international mail catalog that would come to our house and like the Sears catalog and just jerk off, you know. Um, that was kind of what the way I discovered it. <laughs> I remember it being kind of like I would get hard, you know, in the mor in the morning, you know, but I started kind of, I had this thing where I would sort of like rub the head, the head of my dick like on the palm of my hand. It wasn't even like I was sort of jerking off like the stroking part of it. It was like I would just rub the head of my penis on the ball of my hand and then I would come. Um, and I thought like, again, like nobody was sort of explaining this to me. So I thought like, you know, I had some kind of like, disorder or something, you know, like I thought that it was something that was like only happening to me or something, you know, I've seen people like jerking off or like, you know, the, the act of jerking off um, portrayed in movies, not porn movies, but like movies or like men jerking off. And I always thought, you know, the, the motion of the hand was like the stroking, like, you know, the kind of beating off thing with the hand. So for me, it was weird. I was like, why am I doing this with my palm? You know, not realizing that people 
discover this in lots of different ways and, and having no one to ask about it. I had a girlfriend in college who I'm still quite close with. We had a very intense relationship. I feel like we still do. Um, there's a lot of love there and there's this, this kind of like, uh, like we're sort of soulmates in a way. We still are, I think, kind of, although we don't really talk that much anymore, but uh, we're still very close anyway. Anyway, the, <laughs> she was the first person that I had sex with. We only had, I mean, we were together kind of off and on for a few years, and I think we only had sex a few times. And it was always very scary to me, you know, like, because I knew, I even knew, I think, you know, I had kind of like this, the, the, the experience of not being able to, like, get hard, you know, like, in, with a woman, like, not being, you know, it being kind of like a, a difficult experience where it was supposed to not be that difficult, you know. So, you know, it was always quite awkward with me because I never wanted to hurt her feelings. You know, I never wanted to, like, uh, disappoint her or anything like that. So, but yeah, that was the first, the first time I had sex. I was definitely kind of a late bloomer. I came out when I was 23. You know, I moved to Austin, went to college in Austin, and... I guess I knew a few gay people. I mean, at that point, I kind of was like, I, I was really proud to have like gay friends, you know, and was very much trying to kind of like trying desperately to sort of discover some part of myself that could be with women because I want, I think I really wanted that. And I, you know, I was also like, I was like a skateboard kid, you know, um, skated and played in punk rock bands and stuff. So, you know, that was that in Texas at that time, at least for the people that I knew and hung out with, it was a very like macho culture, you know, and I, you know, I lived in this like skateboard house in Austin and, you know, now when I think back on it, I think like, God, you know, I don't know how I did that. But, um, you know, I would kind of confess like jokingly to my like girl friends that, you know, oh, that guy's kind of cute or something, you know, and they would sort of laugh and we would giggle about it, you know. But anyway, I finally moved to New York and uh, to come to grad school. And I thought, you know, really that was like what I was coming for. And it, you know, it was to a, a big degree. I mean, you know, I went to film school, so I make films and I direct and screenwrite and stuff. But really I came here to get the hell out of Texas, you know. I needed to get away from my family so that I felt comfortable enough to um, explore that part of myself. And again, it wasn't even really like I watched gay porn at that point. It was like, I mean, this is also like pre easy internet. This is back in the day where you had to like find a gay mag, like go and like buy a magazine, you know, or look at like dial up internet porn, which took, you know, making a JPEG load for like 20 minutes, you know? So it was like, all still very mysterious to me. But I, really how it was explained to me, I think, was that I started to have crushes on guys and I started to be able to act on it. I think I had just this very freeing experience that a lot of people have when they come to New York, you know, um, you, where you could just kind of be whatever you want to be, you know. And I was so just mystified and hypnotized by the city and the energy and the interesting, weird characters that I was meeting. And I would go out, down, you know, downtown, like the East Village, Lower East Side kind of gay world and kind of secretly go to those bars. And it just was all this amazing, like, carnival to me. But I started to have crushes on guys and eventually I kind of found one that was attracted to me and we kind of made out and I was like, oh, this is what I'm supposed to feel. But it was a lot of, like, fumbling around, you know? Like, um, I think really the first time it was ever super clearly explained to me was like the first serious boyfriend I had who was much older than me. And, you know, that was really the first relationship that I had that was kind of like a long-term kind of like exploration of gay sex. And because he was a lot older than me and had gone through many eras of being in New York and also had gone through like the AIDS crisis and, you know, having like a lot of his friends die. And I think I was kind of just given this kind of very heavy education about gay sex, good 
you know, the, the great things about it and the kind of things that people struggle with. And that was sort of the way that I learned about it, I guess. Um, I've, I think I've always been kind of the type of person that sort of like will dive into the swimming pool, like not really knowing how freezing cold it's going to be. I'm going to go from like zero to 60,000, like move from Texas to New York City and just be fine, you know, like not really realizing what the hell I was in store for. I had like zero gaydar at all, you know, like, I mean, now looking back on my college experience, I mean, there were guys like throughout the entire thing that were trying to flirt with me and I had zero idea that that was happening at all or no conception of like how to deal with it at all. And so this was kind of the first time that I think it occurred to me like, oh, he's flirting with me. I met him in New York. Um, when I first moved here, like the year I moved here, because he worked at this coffee shop in the East Village that I used to go to. Um, I would, you know, take my laptop down there and just like drink coffee and write. But I knew him from Austin. Like he had, he was the coffee shop, the guy that worked in the coffee shop that I would go to all the time in Austin. And I thought like, oh my, I had like a crush on him in Austin, you know, before I had come out or anything like that. And I always thought like, oh, he's so handsome, like so cute, you know, like he would never, he would never even talk to me or think about me. And he's probably not gay either, you know. I mean, I I recognized him instantly, but I, again, I feel like he he was, he was and is incredibly handsome, like kind of all-American hunk sort of looking guys that you always sort of, I always remember thought he looked a little bit like James Dean or something. Like he was this perfect, like to me at that time, just this perfect guy like I just didn't ever it never occurred to me that somebody that looked like him could be gay and it also really even uh didn't occur to me that he would ever like somebody like me it was sort of like the like thinking like the captain of the football team that you always had a crush on was sort of like I really like you and want to date you you know like um I think it was a big boost to my ego, you know, uh, and I definitely kind of needed it, like a boost to my confidence, you know, like he came over to me and kind of gave me like a free cup of coffee. And, and then, you know, there were a couple of other people that I knew from Austin that had moved there. One of them I was going to school with who I ha- also had a really big crush on, but I was telling them about it and they were like, oh, he's gay, you know, like he's probably totally flirting with you. So we exchanged numbers. He called me, um, it's a bit older than I was, like 10 years older. Um, you know, eventually we kind of like, um, we would sort of make out for a really long time. Like we'd go out on these dates, like have drinks and go get something to eat or something. And and then we would sort of like, he would start making, like we would start making out and I was like super excited. I would get like an instant boner. And um, we would make out for so long, it would be kind of like a blue balls situation for me anyway. I was like, he never wanted to really have sex, but eventually we kind of did. And, um, and it was terrible. It was like, um, it was the first time I'd ever sort of like been in bed with a guy. And I think we had like, I sucked him off, you know, that was the other thing that was weird about it too, was that he never kind of wanted to, like I would suck his dick and then he never would sort of reciprocate. But it turned out that, so that was essentially technically the first time I had gay sex was that, I suppose. But it turned out that he had like a lot of issues and he had issues with impotency, basically. Um, He had a lot of other issues that were around that too, that he talked to me about eventually. But he identified as gay, but he kind of couldn't have sex or, or, you know, it was a big problem for him anyway. And I felt very sympathetic to him, you know, like I liked him so much that I was like, I can deal with that, you know, like not really knowing, I just liked him as a person, you know, I think I was kind of in love with him in sort of a a weird way. But, uh, that was kind of the first time, which is a terrible, you know, it's like a terrible, like first, you know, introduction to gay sex. But, in a way, it kind of, it was like a sort of ease into it, you know, because I knew that I was like not really satisfied with that experience. So it kind of like, you know, it was sort of the impetus to like keep going, you know, like keep trying, keep looking, you know. Mm-hmm. I wish it would have turned out better. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
would say the first time I fell in love for real, for real, was with my ex-boyfriend, who I was in a relationship with for like seven years. Um, he was really like the first serious boyfriend I ever had. Really, you know, he was the first person that I ever dated who was like really invested in in being with me. And um, I mean, I'd felt feelings of like obsession with people and temper. It was always sort of temporary, you know. Like I always felt like like I'd be sort of infatuated with somebody for a, a while, you know, and then it would kind of dissipate very quickly. But this was the first person that I ever felt like this very deep compatibility and love. You know, felt like I was really in love with that with him. And he's still a person that's very close to me in my life. He's probably my best friend, I would say. He was the teacher of another friend of mine that I was in film school with. She introduced me to him. She's also somebody that's that's still very close to me. Um, a very good friend still. Yeah, he was definitely the person that I figured out queer sex with. I mean, he also had a lot more experience with it. I mean, he was... When we started dating, I was 25 and he was 50. In a way, it was, I mean, it was kind of like a master class in queer sex, but it was also like a master class in queer history in general. I mean, he'd lived in New York City for like 30 years at that point. And so it was like learning about that incredibly rich, complicated, intense history simultaneously at like learning how to be like a queer person, you know, learning how to have queer sex, learning what it meant, learning what it, you know, entailed, feeling more comfortable with it, feeling like more comfortable exploring it, exploring my body, exploring his body, you know, uh, having more friends that had gay sex and sort of could explain it to me or, or share their experiences with me. Yeah, I mean, it was it was really the first time in my life that I felt like I understood my sexuality in a much more deep and open and honest way. I mean, he was the first person I ever bottomed with. And honestly, I, I, I mean, I think even up to that point where we had sex, where he fucked me, um, I, I even then I couldn't. It was sort of like this thing that I didn't even, it was sort of like mythical to me. Like, I still didn't understand like how anybody endured that, you know? He was very patient and very loving and very, you know, like caring about it. And, you know, it wasn't a traumatic experience at all. I mean, it kind of hurt, I guess, a little, but it wasn't, to me, it was like, oh, that's, that's what this is. And, you know... And in a way, I mean, it was super liberating to me. It was like, I kind of wanted to do it all the time after that, you know? And I was also 25, so I was like, had this insane libido. I mean, in a way, thinking about it, I'm 43. He was 50 at that time. And I'm like, God, how did he deal with me at all? You know, like sexually or otherwise. But yeah, I mean, it was an incredibly positive introduction to gay sex. I mean, it was like, we talked about it very openly. We talked, you know, he was like, you know, I remember like rimming for the first time and that also being something that was like incredibly like, I, I don't understand how people do that. I don't know. It's just all these kind of like doors were unlocked to me. And I was like so thankful, honestly, like um, that I was having that experience. I think I was very aware of the fact that it was like this very special that I was incredibly uh, lucky to have found somebody that um, that I was compatible with and who was like this very loving, caring figure in my life that could teach me all that stuff, you know. I don't think I even really understood that other people had like bad experiences of having like older boyfriends and stuff. I have other friends that have had other, you know, older boyfriends that have had good and bad experiences with them. But, you know, yeah, mine was, I mean, he's still, I, I think it's still a testament. I mean, he really is like my best friend in my life. And, uh, you know, he's super close with my partner now, you know, he's just a wonderful person. I mean, I was really lucky just to meet him in general, like just as a person in my life, you know, but I really was incredibly grateful to have found him for sure. A lot of my embarrassing sex stories involve alcohol. 
And I actually, I was, I'm thinking about this a lot because I quit drinking this year, which is something I hope that is like continues in my life. Not because I really felt like I had some of the problem with it or something. It just, I also have, you know, I, I suffer from depression. So alcohol tends to not be great for that. Um, so as I've gotten older, I feel like I have to kind of take care of that part of my life very concertedly. So I have a lot of bad hookup stories about alcohol. The one that kind of comes to mind is um, I was in the Philippines once for, for a work situation. And I was in, it was the first time I'd ever been to the Philippines. So it was very, and I was only there for like three days. So it was this very like whirlwind trip, you know, it was part of the world I'd never been to. And it was also sort of strange, like it was in Manila in the Philippines and you go to Manila and I was, I was staying at this like kind of fancy hotel, like the Four Seasons of Manila, which is like a guarded fortress. I mean, and it's also in this area of town where like all the kind of like nice expensive shops are and and they keep you in this very weird guarded situation. Like the hotel is surrounded by like armed guards. And when you leave, it's like, there's like this guy with a machine gun that's like, are you sure you want to go out there? Which is something, I, I mean, I was like, why is it so guarded and, and crazy? Anyway, I was, so I was like very isolated in my hotel, you know, and I was like, so I'm, you know, I'm like drinking and like just sitting around in my hotel looking at scruff. And um, so I, I'm like a little tipsy, you know, like back then I like to drink whiskey. So it was like getting a little hammered in my hotel room. And so I, I started chatting with this guy online and he was in the hotel sort of like across the highway from me. He was like, I'm in the military. Um, he sent me a bunch of pics and I was like, wow, this guy's really hot. He was like kind of, he sort of reminded me also, this is another experience of like Texas kind of macho tough guy. He was like, I'm from Texas. I'm in the military. I'm stationed here and I'm staying at this hotel. Why don't you come here? And I was like, well, I don't know how I would ever, like, I don't know how to get there. And he was like, oh, you just have to, like, walk under this tunnel, under the the freeway. And I, I was, the whole thing just seemed sort of ludicrous to me, but I did it. <laughs> um, so I was, I was, like, drunk enough and horny enough to do it. So I get there and go up to his room, and he's, like, better looking than the pictures. He's, like, this total, like, military macho muscle guy. And I'm, you know, like this like tattooed hipster uh, Mexican boy from Brooklyn. And, but I, he was definitely somebody that I like fantasized about fucking. And this was sort of like during a period of my life where I was like pretty much exclusively a top. I'm kind of more verse now, I suppose, but I tended to top more at that point. And it was also really hot for me because he was like, not only this like G.I. Joe type of guy, but he was also like, I want to get fucked. I want you to fuck me. He turned out to be this kind of like insatiable power bottom. <laughs> but I suppose it was kind of embarrassing because it was like, so, I was like so into it and so turned on by the whole situation. And he was into it too. He was like, had this whole like selection of lubes, like bottom lubes that he was into and like, you know, all this stuff wanted me to fuck him with a dildo, which I did. And then, uh, so I was going to fuck him and I totally could not get a hard on because I was so drunk. Um, and I was so embarrassed because it was like this, I was super into the situation and you never want, you know, I don't know. It's just always sort of awkward when that happens, you know, I'm sure it, that was the thing that came to mind. <laughs> it was also kind of one of those situations where he sort of like realized that it wasn't going to happen. And then he was like, okay, you got to go. <laughs> And then I had to go all the way back to my hotel, like, under the freeway, you know, in, like, this sketchy sidewalk of Manila. Like, it was just a bad situation altogether. I really like, like, spanking guys, especially when I'm topping. And I, I've, all, I've, I've never found anybody that I've done that to, to ever say that they didn't like it. Or, I mean, it's sort of like, you know, just intensifies the situation. And it's like, uh, I don't know, there's just something about getting spanked when you're bottoming that kind of, 
Um, I mean, I like it too, you know, when I bought them. But yeah, I've always found that kind of to be a turn on for me and probably for them. I hope so. I think it was also because maybe I, for a long time, especially when, you know, my first like serious relationship with somebody with, uh, was a bit older, was a lot older and also was mostly a top. So I think I always just saw myself in this role of being a, a bottom, you know, and whatever that meant. I think maybe it was a sort of role that I kind of just took on because he was older and I fantasized about it being kind of like his role and my role or whatever. But then we broke up and it was kind of like, I mean, I spent my, my whole, almost my whole 20s in New York City with, you know, in this, I mean, we were, we had an open relationship, so I had sex with other guys, but for the most part, I was like with one person. Uh, so we broke up, I was in my early 30s, and I was like an animal unleashed, you know, it was like, I was also kind of at that age where it was sort of like young enough to still kind of appear young, but old enough to kind of be attractive to guys in their 20s. So I just started to date these kind of younger guys, like right after I was in this relationship with like a, a much older man. And the first guy that I hooked up with or I was sort of dating was a really like to bottom. So I found myself being for the first time in my life, this like power top. And I was like, you know, kind of into it, you know, I was like channeling this part of myself that had always wanted to like take control and be like, you know, so I think it kind of happened like that. You know, I was just like feeling in control or something. And it's a, it's a very limited view of like control and submission or whatever, you know, I think that was the first time I'd ever done that was with that guy that I was dating after I broke up with my long-term boyfriend. And because he liked it, I sort of instinctually did it. And because he liked it, I thought like, oh, this is a, a thing I can do. <laughs> I think for me, I kind of had more of like a kinkier, sluttier side that I was longing to kind of express, you know? And that was the first time in my life that I ever really got to do that on my own terms. I was definitely one of those people that like was like youth is wasted on the young kind of I don't think I even knew what to ask for <laughs> you know like forget actually being satisfied like I just you know I was just so like enthralled by the fact that I was having gay sex in general you know like forget about it actually being you know what I wanted or being satisfied by it I didn't really start to have like great sex until I was like in my late 20s, early 30s. I mean, I think it also is maybe it was because I felt kind of more liberated or something to kind of explore ways of having sex that I'd always kind of fantasized about and just sort of giving myself kind of permission to explore sex more thoroughly and like different fantasies that I'd had and stuff. So, I mean, nowadays I would say it's like much, I mean, so much better and hotter and more interesting my sex life now um, and probably like much broader and less inhibited so yeah I mean I didn't really have a great <laughs> all that great of sex when I was in my 20s which is a shame you know like I wish I I wish I would have had better sex not that you know I had terrible sex but it was like I still was kind of learning and getting my bearings and feeling starting you know, feeling more comfortable with myself and like allowing myself to be a little bit more off the leash, <laughs> I guess. You know, as you get older, you sort of like feel a little bit more comfortable in your own skin and comfortable kind of like asking for what you want. You know, my partner, I have like threesomes a lot. Well, I don't know, a lot, like fairly regularly, I guess. And that was something that was kind of like new for me, you know? Um, it's something I'd always kind of wanted to do, but we also have an open relationship. So it's like we have sex with other people. In a way, it's this very like free understanding of each other's sexual needs you know, with each other and with other people, which is some, something I think I've always kind of wanted in my sex life, you know, or needed maybe. You know, maybe I think I was a bit kind of timid about wanting that because I didn't ever realize like, oh, there's somebody else that would want the same thing as me, you know? 
so now I feel like it's a much freer, looser, fun experience for me. It's okay to loosen up a little, you know, and like let go, you know, like the world and life, you know, a lot of it is sort of out of your hands, you know, out of your control. So you might as well enjoy yourself, you know. It's okay to accept that part of yourself and love that part of yourself. You know, I, I had a lot of issues with that, you know, like uh, not only just in terms of myself as a queer person, but it was like myself self. I really took it out on myself, you know, like lashed out at myself. And this is something that I feel like I'm still, I still deal with to this day. The kind of like taskmaster part of myself that's always trying to like be perfect and, you know, never disappoint anybody and all of those things. You know, I'm of the age that was sort of like sandwiched between millennial kind of gay freedom and the AIDS generation. So I think there was still a lot of like confusion and guilt maybe about sex, queer sex at that time, you know, that I grew up with. You know, for me, it was kind of like going to church and seeing like somebody, you know, the minister at my church saying like, you know, people are dying of AIDS because, you know, it's God's punishment which is something I heard in church, you know, I thought that there was a lot of control, I think, that went into that way of processing it for me. Because I felt like if I allow myself to be free to express myself sexually and to have relationships with, with men and, you know, to have sex in general, that I would be punished for it. I mean, I think, I'm sure that that's, that's a thing that a lot of people did and still do deal with. And I think I would just tell myself to like not be ashamed of yourself and let yourself have fun and, and let yourself off the hook a bit. There's a part of sex that, that I didn't understand about the way that like smell operates during sex. Um, that was always still, I mean, it was like super mysterious to me. Like I didn't really come, I knew the way that like my, my sisters and my mom smelled but like with men in particular, like I'd never really had like close physical contact with men in like different ways that their bodies smell and my body smell. And, and I think as I got older and got like more into sex, uh, like had more sex, like that part of it has always sort of fascinated me. Like I've been always like super curious about it and turned on by kind of people's different smells and, and uh, different body part smells and good and bad, you know, or, you know, savory and unsavory, you know, so I don't know, I think like, that was definitely a part of my, like, curiosity about sex when I was like, when I was in the closet, you know, and I would, I think I would tell myself to just like, go with that instinct, you know, like, let yourself explore it and be okay with it. When you'd approach me to do this, I thought like, oh God, is this something you want to talk about, you know? But I decided to do it because I felt like it'd be good for me to express it or verbalize it, you know? I was a, a lifeline counselor for the Trevor Project, which is a suicide, LGBTQ suicide hotline. And I would talk to kids all the time on that line. And it just is sort of amazing to me sometimes, like how some of them are so aware of themselves, like at such a young age, you know? Um, I mean, and, and then also like some of them are still really struggling, even worse than I was struggling, you know? I mean, sometimes I felt like, who the hell am I to be like <laughs> listening to the, all of these stories, you know? But it was like one of the most profound experiences of my whole life, for sure. But doing that thing at Trevor was really cathartic and healing for me in a lot of ways, because it, like hearing other people's stories, other kids' stories about like what they were going through and like bearing witness to that kind of way that we sort of tell each other's stories can be very cathartic 
and very healing. So it's a, it's a very interesting and uh, dramatic time in like queer life, I think, you know, with so much possibility, but also so much pain too. Uh, I can relate to that for sure. I had that experience, you know, with my film. I still get, you know, letters from, from people all over the world that have seen it and tell me that, it, it, you know, like it's sort of like they, they saw something in it that reminded them of themselves and they felt like less alone or, or, you know, they felt like kind of more understood or they felt like it was speaking to them and that's, that's super powerful. So it's cool to participate in something like this that maybe somebody will hear something that somebody says on this thing and, and be able to relate to it and not make the same mistakes or not, you know, or know a little bit more about what they're doing or what, you know, different things that they're experiencing. I think that's, that's a really cool thing. Fruitful interviews are edited for clarity and brevity and are approved by each interviewee before being released. Visit fruitbowlpodcast.com where you can learn more about this episode, browse the episode archive, and watch original videos. Help support Fruit Bowl's efforts to collect, archive, and share personal stories about queer coming of age by making a small monthly donation through Fruit Bowl's Patreon membership. Patrons get early access to episodes, behind-the-scenes updates, and occasional bonus content. Fruit Bowl collects histories from all different backgrounds and experiences. Cisgender women, trans and genderqueer individuals, Black people, Indigenous people, and people of color. It's only by collecting diverse stories that we can begin to see what unites us. Interested in sharing your story? Find out more about the interview process, including a full list of questions and news about future production. Visit fruitbullpodcast.com for links and contact information. Fruit Bowl is created, produced, and edited by Dave Quantic. I'm Syra B. This has been a production of Cubed Media, LLC. All rights reserved. Thanks for listening.